Hello, and welcome to Actively Speaking. I'm your host, Steve Blyberg. Join us each episode as we discuss current issues concerning capital markets and portfolio management from the perspective of an active manager. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Actively Speaking. Today, we're going to be talking about small cap stocks, particularly in the U.S., and to do that, we are joined by a guest, Rick Vandale, who's a member of Epic's U.S. equity team. Welcome, Rick. Thanks for having me on the program. So I want to start by congratulating you and the team, first of all, on, on your prescience. The team published a paper, I think, that went up on our website last fall, like maybe October, November. And listeners can, can find that paper at uh, www.eipny.com and uh, look under the heading that says Insights. But anyway, the, what the paper said at the time was that there was this tremendous opportunity in small cap stocks and that they had underperformed dramatically and, and were undervalued and so forth. And that certainly turned out to be true. We're recording this in, in July. So I went and looked at the numbers to the end of June. So for the one year ending June 30th, a few weeks ago, the Russell 2000 index of small cap U.S. stocks gained 62%, whereas the Russell 1000 index of large cap stocks gained 43.1%. So big outperformance by small cap stocks. Some people might see that and say, ah, well, I missed it. You know, opportunity's gone. But if you look back even farther, you know, if you extend the beginning of your window back uh, one more year, so look at the two years through the end of June of this year, actually the Russell 1000, the large cap index is ahead of the Russell 2000 over the two years by about a hundred basis points a year on an annualized basis. It's like 23.9 versus 22.9. And if you look back three years, going back to the middle of 2018, it's actually remarkably dramatic how big a difference there's been between large and small cap stocks. Over the three years, the Russell 1000 is up 19.1% per year. Russell 2000 is up 13.5% per year. You know, that's the difference of over 500 basis points a year. Even with the really good performance of small caps over the last year, they have still lagged large caps by, as I say, over 500 basis points a year over the last three years. So, that leads to my first question to you, Rick. Given those numbers, uh, even despite the good performance last year, do you think small cap stocks still look attractive relative to large caps? Yes, yeah, Steve, absolutely. We do believe that small cap stocks still look very attractive relative to large cap equities. And our view is really based on historical precedents, forward-looking fundamentals, and then, of course, valuation. Okay, let's expand on all those. I definitely want to come back to the valuation point because uh, you know, as a firm, we at Epic have kind of strong views about what value really means, particularly in the digital age that we live in now. So, But why don't you take us through the fundamental case, then we'll come back to the valuation side. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Let's start with the historical precedent. So first, small cap equities historically have performed very well on both an absolute and a relative basis following sharp bear market declines in the stock market. So, for example, since the 1920s, the average bear market decline for small cap equities has equaled 35%. And notice how that figure is very close to the 31% decline that we witnessed in the first quarter of last year at the onset of the pandemic. Following these sharp market lines, historically, the forward three-year analyzed return of small cap equities has equaled a very robust 13% as compared to only 7% for large cap stocks. So here we have this first historical precedent where small cap equities tend to perform very well during bull market recoveries from their markets, very similar to the environment we're in now. The second historical precedent focuses on U.S. GDP growth. 
And here again, U.S. small caps have a tendency to perform very well on both an absolute and a relative basis when U.S. GDP growth is higher. And that essentially reflects the fact that smaller companies are much more sensitive to surges in economic activity and also sharp increases in consumer, business, and government spending. So, for example, historically, when U.S. GDP growth has risen sharply, essentially above 2%, the forward 12-month return for small-cap equities has averaged about 13%. So, think of where we are right now. Current consensus estimates for GDP growth are very high. This year, our consensus economist estimates are suggesting that U.S. GDP growth will be about 6.5%. For next year, the consensus estimate is about 3.5%. So economists are really predicting that we're going to still have a robust GDP growth for at least the next 15 or 18 months or so. And so again, historically, this has generally been a very good environment for small cap equities to outperform. So those are the historical precedents. But when it comes to really assessing the relative attractiveness of small cap equities as an asset class. You know, I think here at Epic, we really believe that it's much more important to focus on the forward fundamentals. Estimates such as top-line revenue growth, bottom-line profit growth, and of course, in our case, what's very important to us is free cash flow growth. And so it's really here in this area where small caps shine relative to their large cap brethren. Current consensus estimates, again, suggest that small cap companies are going to have much higher revenue growth and much higher profit growth both this year and next year. You know, so if I could give you an example for this year, the estimates suggest that for U.S. small cap companies, the average revenue growth rate is going to be 13% versus only 10% for large cap companies. The profit growth estimate comparison is even more amazing. For U.S. small cap companies, it's predicted right now that their average profit growth is going to be 100% as compared to only 53% for large cap companies. Now, I realize that these profit growth estimates sound truly amazing, but we all have to remember that they're coming off a very low base last year when most companies actually saw a decline in their revenue and a decline in their profits during the midst of the pandemic. Right. And then again, the story is really the same for 2022. Again, consensus forecast suggests that small cap companies collectively are going to have much better or higher, if you will, revenue growth, profit growth, and cash flow generation next year. So at least based on the fundamental look, which we think is a key to our perspective, small cap companies look very attractive at this juncture relative to large cap companies. And that leads us to valuation. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to talk about that. What, uh, you know, value traditionally in our industry has revolved around things like price to earnings ratios, price to book ratios. But I know that, uh, I think you guys talked about this in the paper last fall. And then there are, there've been other papers at Epic where we've talked about this, that in an age where most companies aren't putting up big factories and, you know, bending metal, so to speak, to make their products, but are, it's much more knowledge based and, you know, things like software or pharmaceuticals. Book value is, it's, it's not clear that it's really a very meaningful concept. And so the price to book ratio probably doesn't mean as much. So how do you guys think about valuation? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Steve. In an increasing digital world, 
that more and more companies have capital-light business models, in some cases consisting of just employees and desktop computers, for example, we really think that financial accounting rules are not accurate any longer and really fail to capture the true value of a firm. So kind of consistent with your observations for a few examples, under generally accepted accounting principles, when a company invests in either research and development or customer acquisition costs, those investments are required to be expensed immediately, even though the company is going to benefit from those investments for many years going forward. This has the effect, really, of artificially pressing the company's reported profits and artificially lowering their stated book value, which for some companies then could mean that their stocks actually look overvalued on traditional measures such as price to book or price to earnings. And conversely, when a company invests in, let's just say, a manufacturing plant or perhaps heavy machinery, again, under generally accepted accounting principles, those companies are allowed to amortize the cost of those investments over the useful life of the asset, which in many cases could be 10 or 20 years or more, even though the original investment required a large upfront cash payment. And so this also has the effect of artificially inflating a company's reported profits and its stated book value. So in these cases, some companies can at least perhaps actually look undervalued on a price-to-book or a price-to-earnings basis, even though they're really not. So for these reasons, we really think a more accurate measure of value is price-cash flow. And in our firm's case, we really prefer to focus on forward estimate of free cash flow. So, for example, a typical analyst at our firm, they're going to estimate how much cash is this company's business model or business going to generate over the next one, two, perhaps three years. And does the current stock price actively reflect the present value of those cash flows? Or is the stock either overvalued or undervalued on a price to free cash flow basis? That approach, we think, results in much more accurate estimates of a company's value as opposed to, again, traditional measures such as price-to-book, which we believe is currently distorted by counting rules. Okay, so how do small-cap stocks look relative to large-caps on, you know, on that basis, like a price-to-cash flow basis? Yeah, so interestingly enough, small-cap equities currently are trading at historically low valuations relative to large-cap equities. And it's important to remember or recognize here that small cap equities almost always trade at a premium relative to large cap stocks. And that generally reflects their better overall growth characteristics or growth potential over time. So it's actually more important to focus on the change in this relative relationship over time. So for example, over the last 20 years, the average small cap premium, valuation premium, has equaled about 120%. Today, that valuation premium has shrunk to only 108%. So a pretty dramatic decline in the relative relationship between small cap stocks and large cap stocks in terms of the valuation. The last time that the relative relationship, the relative value was this low was back in 2008 during the height of the financial crisis. So if you really stop to think about it, currently, small cap companies, superior top-line growth, superior profitability, and cash flow generation, all at a certain point in time when their valuations are very compelling on a relative basis. 
Okay, so as we said at the beginning, small caps, uh, as you say, they, they still look attractive, both forward-looking fundamentals, valuation, but they have been doing quite well, as we said at the beginning of the last year. So what's, what's been driving that good performance over the last year or so? Yeah, interesting enough, Steve, the rally in small cap equities today for essentially the last nine months or so or more has been led by low-quality companies. And these are companies that are either losing money or they have very low levels of profits and they generally have weaker balance sheets. So just for example, the six-month period ended June 30th. The return of the S&P small cap low-quality index equaled 42% versus only 16% for the S&P small cap high quality index. So a very dramatic difference in performance between those two. Separately, we also noticed that the weighted average return of loss-making companies in the Russell 2000 small cap index, again on a year-to-date basis, ended June 30th, equaled 40% as compared to only 20% for the most profitable companies in the index. So, so far today, it really has been low-quality companies or loss-making companies that have been driving the rally in small-cap equities. Hmm. Well, I, mean, I may not know much, but I kind of suspect that over the long term, that's not really a winning strategy. I mean, everything I know about investing says in the long term, the market rewards companies for being profitable, not for being unprofitable. So do you think what's been going on in the last uh, you know, six months to, to nine months in small-cap worlds is sustainable in terms of uh, low-quality no. quality? No, not really, Steve. Despite the recent strong performance of low-quality companies, we really do advocate taking a long-term, excuse me, a high-quality approach. And that's really based on both long-term and a shorter-term perspective. So two of the favorite metrics that we, we like to work with at Epic include free cash flow yield, which is essentially just a measure of how much free cash flow does a company generate relative to its stock price, and then also return on invested capital, or in some cases, return on equity. Our analysis indicates that over the last 35 years, the average annualized return for companies in the index that have high free cash flow yield has equaled 13% compared to only, or actually compared to a negative 1%, believe it or not, for the companies in the index that have the lowest free cash flow yield. And the comparison is the same, really, for return on invested capital. So again, over the last 35 years, the average annualized return for companies in the index that have the highest returns on invested capital has equal 12% as compared to a return of only 10% for the companies in the index that have low returns on invested capital. So clearly then, at least over the long run, high-quality companies significantly outperform lower-quality companies. So how about in the short run, or even from a perspective of where we stand today? Well, first thing to recognize is that high-quality small-cap companies are actually trading at a historically low valuation relative to low-quality small-cap companies. And this has been the case for quite a while now. For example, at the beginning of 2020, the valuation of high-quality companies as compared to low-quality small-cap companies equaled a little bit over 60%. So the, the relative relationship was about 60%. Since then, that ratio has actually declined by 20%. This is the lowest relative valuation for high-quality small-cap companies that we've seen in over 20 years. So when you kind of put it all together, high-quality small-cap companies offer higher free cash flow yields. They offer much higher returns on invested capital. And finally, the last thing I perhaps would want to chime in on is 
The strong performance of low-quality small-cap companies in the initial stage of the market rally is actually not that unusual. Some of our research shows that historically, at the onset of bull market recoveries from bear markets, indeed, in fact, low-quality companies tend to initially outperform. And that's perhaps due to the fact that when the markets are recovering, a lot of investors are willing to take on more risk. So they're willing to allocate capital to more speculative small-cap companies. So, for example, some research we did showed that in the last two sharp bear market declines in small caps, and that would be February 2003 and February 2009, low-quality companies outperformed high-quality companies for about 14 months on average, starting with the onset of the recovery. After that point, high-quality companies went on to outperform. They gained momentum. They went on to outperform low-quality companies. And that outperformance actually lasted for at least three years or more. So if you think about where we are right now, we're about 16 months out from the market bottom that we experienced last year, essentially the end of March of 2020. So right about that point in time when, at least historically, high-quality small-cap companies should begin to outperform. And we actually saw some evidence that in the month of July. In July, high-quality small-cap companies outperformed low-quality small-caps by about 6%. So if history repeats itself, that's obviously a big if. We could be entering an environment where high-quality small-cap companies are set to simply outperform. And again, as you and I just discussed, over the long run, we have clear and compelling evidence that high-quality does tend to do better. Yeah, I, I mean, that is a story I've heard before, seen elsewhere about how, you know, in the early stages of a rally, often it is the, you know, the quote, the junk that does very well early on, but then it gives way to the much more high quality companies. I guess what I'm kind of amazed by, uh, going back to what you were talking about a little while ago about, you know, the performance of the unprofitable companies versus the profitable companies within the small cap index. I'm surprised at how much junk there is, I guess, in that small cap index. I mean, uh, and this is something that your team talked about a bit in the paper from last fall that I found fascinating, that the changes in the index over time in the Russell 2000, that it it has been trending smaller in size and, and towards, I should say, more unprofitable companies as a percent of the index. Talk a little bit about you know what has been going on with that index over years and, and why. Why has it been happening? Yeah, Steve, you raise a very interesting observation. So, you're right. Over the last 10 years or so, the percentage of loss-making companies within the small cap indexes has significantly increased. Again, for example, the percentage of loss-making companies in the Russell 2000 index today equals roughly 40% or so. And this trend is partially due, not fully, but partially due to the decline in overall level of public companies in the United States equity market. So at the peak in the mid-90s, the number of publicly traded companies equaled about 1,000 or so. That figure has actually declined to slightly under 4,000 publicly traded companies today. So essentially, a smaller pool of public companies to pick from forces the index providers to go down in market cap spectrum, if you will, in order to find new companies to add to their index. In the case of the small cap indexes, it really forces the index providers to add new, really tiny companies. In many cases, they have market capitalizations that are well under 500 million or so. Oftentimes, these are new companies. They've recently been IPO'd in the last couple of years, and their business models can be unproven. And they really struggle, at least initially, to make a profit on a consistent basis. 
So recognize all this. We actually think it's important for our listeners to see that passive investment in small cap companies, whether you obtain that through, let's say, a, a mutual fund or an ETF, by definition, or I guess I could say by default, would result in a really large exposure to loss-making companies. And conversely, a passive investment would also result in a suboptimal allocation to high-quality companies, which we obviously think is superior. So we would really advocate, if you're going to invest in small-cap equities as an asset class, we would really advocate an active approach, primarily because if you do incorporate an active approach, you can better control your exposure to high-quality small-cap companies, which, again, we think look very attractive at this point in time. Yeah, it's a, it is a really interesting development in that what you talk about, about the decline in the number of publicly traded companies. Obviously, there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions activity over the last you know, a couple of decades. So there's been very little antitrust, you know, enforcement in the sense of very few mergers got rejected by the government. So, you know, every time there's a merger, there there goes one publicly traded company. And normally they were replaced, you know, by companies going public. But in recent years, you know, with the uh, phenomenon of the unicorns or companies would stay private much longer into their life cycle than was the case in the past. Their companies were kind of seeing that they felt there were a lot of negatives to going public in terms of the reporting requirements and public scrutiny and so forth. And many companies have simply chosen to stay private far longer than they they would have in the past. So it's led to this shrinkage in the, the number of publicly traded companies, which has unintended consequences, I guess, or not that the, anything was really intended about it, but it's sort of perhaps consequences that people didn't think of at first in terms of, as you say, the, the sort of the blend of quality, high quality and low quality and things like a small cap index. So Really, really interesting material. Uh, well, I think we've sort of covered a lot of ground here. So, Rick, I want to thank you for joining me here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks again for having me, Steve. And I enjoyed talking with you about this subject. And uh, listeners, if again, if you've enjoyed this podcast or our previous podcasts, please give us a, a good review on whatever platform you're getting this podcast from. And we will be back with another episode soon. Remember to subscribe to Actively Speaking on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. You can find all of our previous episodes and additional content on our website, www.eipny.com. The information contained in this podcast is distributed for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but not guaranteed. The information contained in this podcast is accurate as of the date submitted, but is subject to change. Any performance information referenced in this podcast represents past performance and is not indicative of future returns. Any projections, targets, or estimates in this podcast are forward-looking statements and are based on Epic's research, analysis, and assumptions made by Epic. There can be no assurances that such projections, targets, or estimates will occur and the actual results may materially be different. Other events which were not taken into account in formulating such projections, targets, or estimates may occur and may significantly affect the returns or performance of any accounts and or funds managed by Epic. To the extent this podcast contains information about specific companies or securities, including whether they are profitable or not, they are being provided as a means of illustrating our investment thesis. Past references to specific companies or securities are not a complete list of securities selected for clients, and not all securities selected for clients in the past year were profitable.